Welcome back to our second part of the Mongol Empire and the Mongol expansion. This time we're going to actually look at that expansion and look at how 200,000 Mongolians became the largest or created the largest land empire uh, that we have in history. Um, now, it's not the largest empire overall. That'll be the British when we get there. Uh, but this is the largest continuous land empire. And it was all because of one guy, for the most part, named Timujin, who eventually gets the ranking of Genghis Khan. Uh, or the Great Khan, or you might see it as Chinggis Khan. Um, and so we're going to be talking about history around the late 1100s, early 1200s uh, is when he lives. And uh, starting off with just a little background for him, he's uh, living in one of the, the clans in Mongolia. Uh, they are sharply divided between the groups. There's lots of reading going on between each other and between other uh, nomadic groups in that area. And of uh, and uh, his father is murdered uh, was at a young age. Uh, his father was a chief, um, so had some connections, uh, but he gets murdered. Uh, his mother takes care of him, but they are the lowest of the low families. Um, but uh, that uh, bringing up or, or gave, uh, yeah, that upbringing gave Timogen a desire to, to do more. And so um, we get him rising the ranks. Uh, of power using uh, the friends that he has, uh, using the old connections that his father might have had. And uh, eventually, uh, by 1206, he becomes the supreme ruler of the Mongols um, and gets the title of Genghis or Chinggis Khan. And after getting kind of everyone united, he then goes, okay, now we can go out and, and go conquer people. And so... Um, that unity, uh, they'll start their conquest, sorry, uh, about 1209, and it'll go for about 50 straight years of fighting. And uh, the, the, it'll be stopped by, um, or it'll be stopped in areas like Europe. Uh, they stop in 1242. Uh, in Egypt, they get all the way there, and they stop in 1260 there. They try to go and get Japan um, under the Yuan Dynasty, and that doesn't work in 1274 and 1281. And then Southeast Asia, they get blocked by the um, blocked by the Sangles there. Um, so, uh, well, how does this happen? Um, well, <clears throat> there was no blueprint for an empire there. Um, and, uh, there is no kind of, uh, basic way you, you do it or something that he used before. Um, he kind of went out and did his own thing. And so he, he got everyone united. Um, and then, uh, in the world at the time, we, we have empires falling. The Song Dynasty are, are collapsing in, in China. Um, the Abbasids were, were always kind of weak, but are getting even weaker at this time. And so uh, it, was rife for, uh, or it was ripe for an opportunity to go and um, go conquer. And um, Genghis Khan specifically made his society a militaristic society, and he grouped people uh, all across the board into units. Uh, and so he had units of 10, which then went into units of 100, which then went into units of 1,000, and then 10,000. And um, that's how he organized his army. So by being highly organized and having a, uh, even though you only have a small population, it makes you a lot more efficient. And so um, then when he went and conquered people, they were broken up into and, and brought into his society and, and into a system that he was looking for. And so you'd take... Um, yeah, you take people that were artisans and stuff like that, used for them throughout the empire to divide those people up so you could control them better, but also so that you could do things 
across the whole empire. Uh, if you have soldiers in that area, you would bring them in, bring them into your army, and that's how his army grew. He didn't have, uh, he didn't get more people by conquering, or more the Mongols didn't get a larger population by conquering more, and they instead absorbed more people and used them, and so they conscripted them into their, um, into their armies, and they used the the conscripted soldiers from other regions as kind of fodder to take um, huge blows from the enemy. Um, so <clears throat> you have that going on. Um, <clears throat> uh, what else do we want to say there? Uh, if um, to show how um, how important fighting was and how uh, important honor was in that, and that you'd fight till the end, is that uh, if you left the battle early, if you retreated or whatever, uh, you would be executed. So you only had one option to do, and that was to go forward and to go through it and to win. Um, and um, yeah, so y you have to go and fight. And so that's that keeps the people going as well as uh, in the Genghis Khan didn't live any different from anyone else. And he was a very charismatic leader. So people were going to go and do uh, whatever they they could for him. Um, I mean, just uh, it would be interesting to see what it was like to, to be under him. It probably wasn't I mean, in, in a modern sense, it probably wasn't great because uh, us trying to survive in that kind of society and that hostility and everything else would not. Uh, does not match with what we go through today, but just to see the leadership qualities there uh, would be interesting from from my personal perspective. Um, and so um, with this as well, one other thing that he really does well is not only does he bring in foreign soldiers, not only does he put in uh, motivations to go and attack constantly and to not retreat, uh, but he also he's flexible uh, in that he adopts other people's strategies and technologies. Um, he de develops the the faint retreat uh, really well, which really messes with the enemies in that they would fake retreat and run back on their horses or have their ca or infantry run back, and then they'd have a uh, surprise for them as they get across the hill or whatever and, and just slaughter that enemy, as well as they originally couldn't take on cities, but when they beat the Chinese over and over and over again, they start incorporating some of their siege masters and other things like that to be able to get siege technology to be able to break into cities, which then allow them to expand that empire farther because if you can't break into the cities and you can only besiege them, it takes a long time to get through there. But if you get siege works, you can go take over the cities much easier. And now you can uh, really get uh, more people under your control. You can really get a lot more wealth and, and other things like that. Um, let's see. What else do I want to bring up about this? Uh, we've talked a lot about the fighting. We've talked about the uh, skilled workers being sent throughout it. Um, oh. After, um, after they do conquer their territories, though, uh, to be able to draft the people, to be able to get the skilled workers to wherever they want to place them in the empire, they have to have an elaborate census system. And so they do create a census system. Uh, he actually creates a, a fairly strong uh, government. It's, it's a weak coalition, so it's kind of decentralized um, in it. Uh, and that they don't fully control the different regions, and we'll see them divide up because of that when it gets divided between his sons or his grandsons. Um, but... Um, they do a census to see where people are at so they can move them around the empire as well as what materials are there and get those moving around the empire. And one way you can do this uh, and get people moving quickly or get word moving quickly is they create essentially a Pony Express uh, to get messages uh, really fast. So you have these posts that you'd go to uh, that you'd ride your horse fast to. You'd drop it off there. You get on another horse and get going again. Um, so they get rapid communication to be able to take charge of this very, very large empire. 
And um, yeah, with their government, with that centralized government, they're the ones that set that up. You have to have that kind of government to do that. And um, to also help with the government, they uh, create a bureaucracy, but it's mostly foreigners that are in it, uh, especially Chinese, former bureaucrats in China and in the opposite empires. And um, kind of two last things to really mention that we're going to see probably more of as we go forward here is one, uh, with all this that's going on, they really support the merchants because that's where they're going to make a lot of their um, money or things are going to improve because of the commerce going on. And two, they're tolerant of everyone. When you take a huge empire like that, if you wanted to force that on people, you're going to have more rebellions. And instead, they're very tolerant of others' religious beliefs and ideas. Um, and so they let the Muslims in the Middle East uh, or Southwest Asia run their things. They, they get to keep practicing Islam. In China, they're able to practice what they want to do. And they practice their own religion up in, in kind of Mongolia. So uh, that's kind of the basics there, the conquest of the Mongol Empire. Uh, next up, we'll take a look at kind of how it affected the different regions that it went into.